Road trips are supposed to be fun, right? Well, it seems the open road holds more monsters and terrors than we could have ever imagined. Welcome back to the swamp, my friends, and welcome if you're new. It's good to see you made it to another episode. Today I'm going to be sharing some creepy and allegedly true road trip horror stories. As always, if you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp, and stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. Now, without further ado, let us jump right into these creepy and allegedly true road trip horror stories that'll keep you off the road anytime soon. For context, I've lived most of my life bouncing between Pennsylvania's Corn Ocean area and the popular mountain tourist destinations to the northeast. Those who have lived or visited those general areas may be aware well of the peculiarities of Pennsylvania roads. Firstly, that they are horribly managed, and secondly, these roads see a lot of death. Roadkill is a problem just about anywhere with motorists but I hardly go a single day without seeing mangled deer carcasses. Most deer here are pretty and well-mannered, which is probably why it's particularly disturbing to see fawns with crushed skulls or does with their entrails dragged upwards of 10 yards down the highway. However, wildlife gore isn't the specific sort of death I was obsessed with growing up. My thing was looking out the window and finding crosses, Markers left for those killed on or near the road, typically from car accidents. There's one not far from me that has the word Jessica written in a bubble font on magenta-painted wood. Hers has been there as far back as I can remember. I'm in my early twenties now, but someone still tends to it and occasionally brings flowers and places photos around it. Honestly, I've always found it heartwarming that Jessica is loved, even now. Many crosses I've come to expect on my daily routes have become worn, knocked over, and just generally abandoned. I realize there probably isn't anyone left to take care of them, but it is still sad to know that these crosses that symbolize someone else's loved one are now lost to decay and rot. Disheartening as that is, at least I can mentally distance myself from it. If you pushed it far away, it's easy to pretend that death is not part of living. Although, I was rather abruptly forced to acknowledge it a few times in my childhood. Once, on a dark summer night, a family friend was driving me back to my mom's following a long road trip we had taken. It's about a two-hour ride, and being an annoying 12-year-old, I didn't even try to sleep, which meant I was looking out the window, watching the tree line along the highway. We soon came upon a blocked lane in the flashing lights of an ambulance and police. I watched, sort of shocked as a person that had a sheet drawn over them was hauled into the back of an ambulance. The adult driving quickly assured me that the man was going to be just fine, and that that was the end of the discussion. I'm feeling pretty sure that that was my first dead person experience outside of a funeral. Despite the distance and the reassurance of my family friend, there was no obvious gore, and while I do remember seeing a damaged vehicle, it was only a little smashed up on the nose, and alongside the driver's side, 
overall, probably not something that should have left a big enough impression on me that I still think about it to this day. And perhaps I wouldn't have if it didn't happen in combination with my first experience with road hallucinations. It was a good hour down the line after I saw it. I was nearly home to my mom when the road began to shift and undulate. I mentioned it to the driver who told me I was just tired, and it was a common mirage. To my initial amusement, I began to see figures scrawled out on the surface of the road, like 2D cartoons. I began to describe it to the family friend, the many dragons and sweeping humanoids I was seeing in these dizzying little patterns, laughing and occasionally staring a bit as the visions grew more vivid. The friend driving me told me to stop looking at the road if it was scaring me. I, of course, didn't listen. Suddenly I saw a very pale, translucent figure in front of us about 15 yards away. It was low to the ground and appeared to be a person resting on its belly. I watched as it began to rush towards us. Now, clearly legless but crawling at a breakneck pace with its arms, it jumped on the hood of the car. Its face pocketed with empty sockets, like black voids. I screamed out loud, and then it was gone. I got reprimanded for hollowing and screaming and scaring the driver. I stopped looking at the road and happily walked into my mother's home when we arrived. Even though I told her all about my visit with my dad and my trip, including the weird illusions I saw, telling my mom didn't stop me from plugging an old nightlight in the wall before going to bed and hiding under my blankets. That was also the first and last time I saw such a vivid mirage while in the car or otherwise. It's hard to describe just how very real this event felt to me, even though it happened so quickly. I still can picture its body and face moving towards me on that highway. Rationally, I knew it was a trick of the mind. I still love long road trips, especially if I'm not driving and get to watch the scenery. However, I do not try to stare too long at the dark asphalt these days. My husband and I went on a 10-day road trip where we went tent camping through eight national parks. We didn't necessarily have an encounter, but I wanted to share the story anyway. We were driving from Mesa Verde in Colorado to the Petrified Forest in Arizona. It was a three or four hour drive. We got a late start after eating dinner. I always start out as the first driver. Then, when I get sleepy, as I typically do, he drives the rest of the way. My goal was to get to Gallup, New Mexico, to grab gas and switch seats. I jumped in the driver's seat after a long day of hiking, and down the winding, highway road we went as it got darker and darker outside. This road had too many curves to be considered a highway, in my opinion. Then, every few miles there was a sign to slow down due to road fatalities. Then there are sharp turnoffs leading to different housing areas. This wasn't a road I would have volunteered to drive down in the dark, but here I am. Carefully, I drive down this road in the dark, white-knuckling the steering wheel prepared for any number of creatures to run out in front of me, since there were very few houses or other buildings along the roadside. I kept hearing dogs barking and growling, even though I didn't think the houses were close enough for me to even be able to hear a dog growl. Even though there was no one else on this road, I felt like I was being watched or some something ominous. The curves turned into a straight road. My husband usually sleeps while I drive, 
but I kept him awake because something just felt odd and very off. A few hours in, I was getting extremely sleepy. My husband offered to drive. I would just have to pull over on the side of the road. I told him it was okay and nervously joked that if we stopped, the car probably wouldn't come back on or we would end up getting the door knocked on by some black-eyed children. He stayed up and we chatted about how eerie this road felt. 30 minutes later, we saw lights in the town of Gallup, New Mexico. I pulled into McDonald's and we got out to stretch and switch seats. That's when we noticed the highway signage. The top marker reads Highway 491. The bottom marker reads, formerly Highway 666. After getting gas and getting on the interstate again, I started googling Highway 666. So many stories popped up. Hellhounds, disappearing hitchhikers, ghost trucks that run you off the road, UFO sightings, time loss, orbs, you name it, it's probably there. Route 666 has an unusually high number of road casualties. Well, it did anyway. Now that it's been renamed, the death toll per year doesn't seem to be as high. The Navajo land skirts the road, and they performed a blessing on it believing it to be evil. The Native American locals warned travelers about shapeshifters and evil medicine men. Mind you, we didn't know any of this beforehand. We didn't psych ourselves out before driving down the Devil's Highway. We thought it was a normal road at the time. Albeit a bit dangerous, while we didn't have any sightings of anything strange, I'll never forget the feelings of dread and alertness to my surroundings. I shudder to think what could have happened if we had decided to stop on the side of the road to switch seats. A little background on me. I'm a 19-year-old male, and I was traveling with my girlfriend. We were on a road trip to visit my grandparents who lived a couple of states away. They said we could stay at their place for a few weeks over the summer, and it seemed like a no-brainer because they lived on the beach. The path to getting there, though, was long, and it was a painful drive. My girlfriend and I disliked driving, but we figured that we could take turns and it wouldn't be so miserable. I think the total time on the road was roughly about 10 hours or so. We were about 5 hours into the drive when we decided to stop at a rest stop. I'm not going to lie to you. We stopped quite a bit. I'm a little compulsive with drinking water because I like to stay hydrated. As you might imagine, there are some consequences of being hydrated. It did irritate my girlfriend to an extent, but not very much. I think she secretly liked that we were stopping for my sake and not hers because she always seemed to buy something every time we stopped. This one rest area was not horrible or anything like that. It wasn't in a bad area that I could tell. It seemed like a very typical safe rest stop, but this is where one of the most horrifying experiences of my life took place. At least, the first part of it. This has simply been one of the many times when I pulled off of the road to go pee. When I saw that there was also a McDonald's near this one rest area, I decided to wait until we got there. I normally don't eat McDonald's, but I let myself do it on special occasions like road trips. It makes the drive go by a little better, even if it makes my stomach feel like garbage. So, I went to the bathroom and she bought some more cigarettes. We had already made our way to the McDonald's when we had our first appearance with this creepy guy. We did talk to him a little bit. Let's, let's call him Joe. He was the strangest looking man I have ever laid my eyes on. He looked like he didn't come from this country or anything like that. 
and not on a racial basis or anything, he just looked like he had a completely different lifestyle. As if he lived off the land and had never used electricity a day in his life. His beard went all the way down to his stomach, and if you looked at it for long enough, you could see food particles in there, and some of them, not even from a meal that he had eaten today, probably from days before. So that should give you a good idea of his level of cleanliness. The rest of his outfit followed suit. A dark pair of jeans that looked like they hadn't been washed in a decade, and a large leather jacket that looks like the oldest thing I've ever seen in my life. I'm sure it wasn't that old, but it had a timely appearance due to it being in such poor condition. Anyway, we spoke to Joe because he awkwardly sat next to us at McDonald's. I thought this was extremely strange, and it weirded me out. I am an introvert by nature. Talking to people is extremely taxing. My girlfriend is an extrovert and always attracted people that were interested in the conversation. I just found it strange because I never had someone randomly sit at the same table as me. Like, this was kind of very out of my comfort zone. I figured that it was because of my girlfriend attracting talkers, but looking back, it was probably because we appeared to be easy targets. Joe sat down next to my girlfriend and started asking us what we were doing and where we were going. My girlfriend, being the optimistic and unsuspecting person that she is, gave him the entire story, that we were basically five hours away from anyone that we knew in any given direction. I tried to give her a look that she needed to shut up, but she didn't get the hint. We had already ordered our food and were sitting down and eating. He didn't order anything. He just invited himself to our table and talked to us for the entire time. At first, he was rather polite, but had a thick accent that didn't seem like it belonged anywhere that I knew of. I couldn't tell you where the accent came from because I've never heard anything like it in my entire life. And this is coming from someone who knows plenty of people from the North, Midwest, the South, Australia, and anywhere else in the world. This accent just didn't seem like it came from Earth. After a painful experience of trying to get away from Joe, we got back in our car and started on the journey again. As we got to our car, I also noticed that Joe had gotten into his car as well. As we had pulled out, Joe was a good distance away from us. I thought this was extremely strange, and the warning signs in my head went from flashing to high alert. I knew that we were in danger. I was driving and I tried putting the pedal to the metal. The next half hour or so, I had probably gone faster than I ever have in my entire life. I was normally a safe driver, but this guy was really freaking me out. I tried telling my girlfriend that this guy was tailing us, but she genuinely didn't believe me. She thought I was just being paranoid. But what are the odds of seeing this guy at the gas station and then him being behind us for 30 minutes after we get on the road? She told me to pull over at the next rest stop and we would know for sure if he was trying to do us harm. Stupidly, that's exactly what I did, and my worst suspicion came true. He pulls off at the same rest stop and parked right next to us. My adrenaline was rushing as I got ready to fight this guy. I didn't know what else to do. I told my girlfriend to call the police, and then I got out of the car. He was easily a foot taller than me, but he was a little older and probably not in the best shape. I could probably take him if I had to. I also had the benefit of being an athlete at my college. I did all the intramural sports stuff like that, so I was in decent shape. But none of that mattered when Joe pulled out a knife. There was an immediate understanding between the two of us at that moment. The understanding that he was out to do us harm, 
and I was going to have to fight him. I waited for him to approach. About 30 seconds went by, and he started walking in my direction. My heart was pounding. I started screaming every insult that I could. I called him a degenerate and an old man who has been way over his head, that I was going to whip his ass. It didn't scare him, though. When he got within 15 feet of me, I thought it would be a good idea to tackle him. I was going to, I was going to try to take him by surprise, you know? But I didn't. I tried getting him off of his feet and onto the floor, but when I tackled him, he plunged his knife right into my back. That was the only good hit he got on me, though. I managed to get him on the floor, and after that, I started kicking his head ferociously. I didn't know how I managed to do it, but he was on the ground seemingly unconscious, and I was just standing there. I could feel the blood flowing down my back, and I got into the back seat of my car and yelled at my girlfriend to drive me to the nearest hospital. I was questioned a few days later at the hospital, but I don't think anything really happened of it. I guess the police showed up after we had left and found Joe still there unconscious. He was in a coma, and the police didn't know what to think. Once they got mine and my girlfriend's version of the story, they seemed to believe it, and I think the gas station cameras corroborated that. So, that was that. I don't know when or if Joe will ever wake up from the coma, and honestly, after he almost killed me, I kind of hope he dies. That was an extremely traumatic experience for me and my girlfriend. The good news about the situation is that I can tell people that I put someone in a coma once, and if they don't listen to me, they're next. This story happened to my dad and his wife. He was driving in the middle of nowhere in Utah, I believe. He and his wife wanted to make a stop at a gas station to get some snacks, use the bathroom, etc. When he got to the gas station, he saw a police car parked out in the lot. When they walked into the gas station, he saw a man at the register. My dad saw that the man was listening to a police radio. My dad didn't really think anything of it at the time, and he asked the man if they needed a key to the bathroom or if it was unlocked. The man looked anxious and uncomfortable. The man told my dad that he didn't think that he needed one, so my dad walked to the bathroom. Right before he went in, he saw a doorway with a curtain in front of it next to the bathroom door. My dad looked at the end of the curtain and saw that there was what he thought to be men's feet and what he believes to be police officer's shoes. My dad tried to stay calm, so he walked into the bathroom and just stood there contemplating what to do. He got himself to calm down. Then he walked out calmly of the bathroom and went to his wife and calmly said, Hey babe, let's go home. I'm pretty tired. My dad just wanted to make sure this guy couldn't do something to them if, if something ended up happening. She looked confused but then understood what he was trying to do so they paid for the gas and left. What my dad thinks happened is that guy killed the police officer and took his police radio to make sure no one was trying to contact the police. But while he was hiding the body... My dad and his wife drove into the lot, so he pretends to be the cashier. I asked my dad why he never called the police and he said that if he did, the guy at the gas station would hear the dispatcher and he would go after my dad. They were on a road trip and had a huge trailer and that guy could easily catch them, I guess. I don't know. That's the logic he had at the time. My family likes to take long road trips from time to time. 
There are seven of us in total, so we usually take my family's 2005 Chevy Suburban. It was getting old, but could still normally handle long trips easily as my dad is a master mechanic and kept it well maintained. However, this trip was different. My dad had recently fixed a truck for some friends for the family, who had recently moved away to Billings, Montana, while we were in eastern Iowa. My parents decided that we could take the friend's truck over to them and make a vacation out of it. So we loaded the friend's truck onto a car trailer and we piled into the Suburban and hit the road. As we neared the northern border of Iowa, my dad came to the realization that the trailer brakes had stopped working. I heard him talking to my mom about how we could probably make it just fine with the brakes on the Suburban. Both couldn't shake a feeling that they had felt like something was going to go wrong. Almost like a premonition, you know? We already have a heavily loaded up Suburban, a car trailer with a pickup truck on it, and a riding lawnmower, and some other parts in the back of the pickup truck. If we had to slow down or stop, it could be quite hard. Then, my dad remembered a friend of his who ran a truck repair shop nearby and gave him a call. His friend quickly agreed to help him repair the trailer brakes. So after an hour and a half of waiting around in this tiny town, we were back on the road again. As we continued north, we noticed dozens of motorcyclists everywhere. That's when we realized we were heading through South Dakota. At the same time, we were going through Sturgis. For anyone who doesn't know, Sturgis is a huge motorcycle rally town, basically in South Dakota. Now, my dad quickly begins to get a little tense as we... We don't really have anything against bikers, but due to the sheer amount of them and the large vehicle and trailer combo that we are driving, it was going to be a challenge to stop if they needed to bob and weep between us, you know? After some time, we finally make it to the hotel that we had booked that night. Now, my mom had really wanted us to visit Mount Rushmore for obvious reasons. It was along the route, and we wouldn't have to make too much of a detour. As we were getting closer to Mount Rushmore, I noticed more and more mountains and even more bikers as we continued to push onwards. We finally made it to Mount Rushmore and as soon as we had hit the suburban parking area, my dad immediately gets out of the car and sits down and starts shaking his head in his hands. My dad is not easily shaken at all. Seeing him in this condition really surprised me. I had to ask him what was wrong. When my mom grabs my arm and pulls me away, and leads all my brothers away to some public restrooms. A little while later, my dad joins us at a bookstore and had mostly calmed down. I then hear my dad say something, and I think he was mentioning why he was so shaken up. It turns out we had nearly killed over a dozen bikers at the bottom of a long, steep hill. We were trying to make our way down the hill, and my dad realized that there was a large group of bikers at the bottom of the hill, all stopping at a red light, which had to be the worst placed intersection I have ever seen. When my dad saw it, he stomped on the car's brakes and to his horror, th they failed. He then locked the trailer brakes and then somehow, by the will of God, it brought us to a stop. He's not sure how they managed to do it, but thank God that they did. He knew for certain that if we had not fixed the trailer brakes, we would have certainly crushed all those bikers and they would have had no idea that they were going to meet their fate that day.
Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true road trip horror stories. As always, if you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode, as I upload them nearly every single day on all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to send in your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or another podcast platform, be sure to give this a 5-star rating as it helps us grow over there. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and just about everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. It's absolutely free and always will be. If you would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, subscribing, and giving us a 5-star rating on podcast platforms, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts, hoodies, face masks, and more. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Be sure to join me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Let me know what story was your favorite in the comments down below, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy video.